Welcome to Integral Christian Network Podcast, where we explore ways of evolving towards a more loving, inclusive, and embodied mystical Christianity. Greetings, people of the ICN world and worldview. Today we are exploring integral pioneer and poet Gene Gebser. We are so thankful for this great interview with Jeremy Johnson, who has offered us a deep dive into Mr. Gebser's integral development and framework. And I just want to say as an important caveat before we jump into the interview, you don't have to be an expert in Gebser to enjoy this interview. There is language that may take a bit of getting used to if you're not familiar, but it is very much worth the effort to give this a listen. Paul, Luke, and Jeremy cover a lot of territory, and it is extremely rich, broad, and enlightening. There's a lot of energy and transmission going on here, so enjoy. But before we do, I want to encourage you to not fast forward through this short exercise in opening up the four spaces of spiritual intelligence, the feet, the gut, or womb, the heart, and the mind. Let's take a moment to ground ourselves in the moment, open up to spirit, and keep these centers of spiritual knowing as open as possible. So no matter where you are, if you're traveling, if you're sitting, if you're at home, um, whatever it is that you might be doing, take a moment, bring full awareness and presence to your feet, to these roots, these mobile roots that we have that keep us connected to earth, to groundedness, to movement and embodiment. Breathe deeply. Smile at your feet, smile at your legs. Enjoy. Enjoy this great gift of connection to material reality itself. And if you're able to take a moment, put your hands or a hand on your womb space, your, your, your belly space. And breathe deeply. Enjoy this breathing deeply. Enjoy this center of who you are. This, this space in which new life can spring forth. I love putting one of my hands on my heart space and sometimes tapping it there. Take a moment to just tap that space. Remind your heart to be open. That this place of attunement, the center of intelligence, which reminds us that we are effective creatures, capable of great connection. And the heart does not need any defense in this moment, you are in complete safety. This space is a great gift. And then also, let your crown chakra be completely open in this moment. Open to 
the golden light or light of any color that may come in during this time that you're listening to this podcast. Your, your mind, the mind of integration, of, of, of not rejecting of, of, or analyzing things to their own detriment or uh, judging or critiquing, but, but learning and being open and, and not merely being aware already of what we know, but of what we're about to know. That this vast, open spaciousness of awareness is a great gift of spirit to each and every one of us. Take a few deep, wonderful cleansing breaths and bring these four centers of intelligence into alignment, into great openness, to the informing and undoing of one another, and give a listen to this fantastic interview. All right, well, uh, today we have the pleasure of having a conversation with Jeremy Johnson, and uh, Paul Smith is going to be here uh, talking with him, and they'll mostly uh, go for the conversation, and, and I'll be listening, because they're going to be talking about Gene Gebser, which is a uh, Jeremy's specialty is the author of Seeing Through the World, Gene Gebser, and Integral Consciousness. Uh, he's also the host of the Mutations podcast and the editor of the anthology Mutations, Art, Consciousness, and the Anthropocene. So Jeremy has uh, is a Gebser scholar and enthusiast and um, just has a lot to share about uh, his integral perspective from Gebser and Paul's been recently digging into the ever-present origin and there's just a lot coming forth with Gebser uh, in kind of the, <clears throat> the general milieu <laughs> of the integral world and, and in sort of uh, evolutionary Christianity. So excited about our conversation today. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy. Thank you, Luke. And thank you, Paul. It's good to be here and happy to be speaking with you both again. Well, Jeremy, as I said, uh, you, you're everywhere now, and uh, I, I love it. Uh, you're also uh, among your great accomplishments, uh, the president of the uh, Gebser, uh, what's it called, Gebser Society? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's wonderful. I love to be talking to the president. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm... Uh, I'm 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 just getting into Gebser. He's uh, really uh, when I when I read his uh, Ever Present Origin, it it, it just uh, opened up my spirit in a in a way I didn't understand. And um, I'm 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 uh, still digging into it. And uh, our listeners uh, are. Uh, uh, only some of them are familiar with Gebser, so I thought part of this uh, part of this is to familiarize them or some with Gebser. So my first uh, question to you, <laughs> uh, it'll, this is a, a challenge I'm giving you to take a 670-page book and uh, summarize it in a half a dozen or so sentences. Uh, are you willing to try that? <laughs> I, I could give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, I was reading that last night. And I'm like, oh boy, what am I going to say with that one? Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. How to, how to summarize Everpresent Origin and Gebser's work in, in half a dozen sentences. Um, 
Yeah, so my attempt would be, you know, Everpresent Origin is a monumental text, uh, massive in its scope, and it explores the history and transformation of consciousness. Um, now, and Agepser's work in particular is looking at what we might call a phenomenological approach, as in um, the experience of being in the world. So the transformations of space and time, the relationship of self and world, uh, and looking particularly at works of art, literature, etymology, everything's very tactile, everything's very aesthetic, everything is very even etymological. And so it's a real deep dive in the history of consciousness, but also I want to say this as the final attempt, I'm probably going over now, but uh, it, that is sort of the prelude to talking about the present, right? The transformation and the crisis that Gebser saw happening in the 21st century, or 20th century into the 21st. Um, so he was talking about a mutation or a leap that was going on today, a new relationship with time and space. So that, that's my attempt. That's my elevator pitch. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's great. And I love the word phenomenological because uh, that's what uh, at the Antico Christian Network, we are not after theory as much as we're after the phenomenon of experiencing uh, God and uh, spiritual things. Say just a little bit more about the time space. That's, uh, that's the last part that I'm beginning to comprehend it seems to, to elude me say a little bit more about that yeah so you know i think a lot of the illustrations gepser uses throughout of a present origin and, and the majority of his work are centered around this question of how we inhabit time how we experience time and how we inhabit and experience space and so i think that that's really a way in which we can look at the different he came up with these things called the structures of consciousness and we might be familiar with them through ken wilber's work uh, archaic magic mythic mental integral but each of these structures has a unique relationship with time uh cyclical time or rhythmic time a linear or directive time right a sense of progress perhaps uh, a sense of timelessness so integral consciousness for gepser and really his methodology is what is it like to experience time and what is it like to experience the world is the world a three-dimensional space right or is it a um, something that is more imaginal right where the imagination and enchantment is participating in what we see uh, and so he's he's very interested in looking at um artifacts and texts and illuminated manuscripts for example or uh gilt uh ground paintings you know the golden encrusted paintings of the medieval ages and going like well what was their conception of the world it was a kind of a different sort of cosmology was at work right you know, the being in the world was different and the same thing with with time that the passage of time was different if you look at particular um texts or works of art that sort of evidence that so it, he's sort of just tracking that, right? And he comes up with these different structures. He comes up with some different terminology to describe it. But that's his emphasis, um, the phenomenology of time, the phenomenology of space. What would you say uh, the, I mean, what we're, he's wanting to aim for is uh, uh, space timelessness, or I, I take that that's beyond space and beyond time. What else would you say to flesh that out? Because it's, mm. it's it doesn't uh, lend itself to images or 
descriptions uh, would help. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, um, well, Gebser talks about like, let's say the mythical structure having this sort of cyclical cosmology, right? Everything is a, uh, let's say the return of the seasons or the archetypal procession of, of uh, uh, the stars in the sky and the gods that they're associated with, right? The, the kind of cosmological drama that's happening, that's sort of eternal. And then there's that magical consciousness, which is kind of just a timeless now, right? A sort of a, a, a limitless uh, non-passage of time and where like one example would be, uh, you know, uh, looking at Paleolithic art uh, in certain cave sites in, in Europe uh, and noting that there's sometimes a 5,000 year difference between, you know, one artist doing some work and then another artist doing work in the same style and culture and fashion. And it's just that kind of um, fathomless sense of, of timelessness uh, that he's talking about in terms of the magic or again, eternal recurrence or cycles in the mythic. But for the, for the integral structure, the interesting thing he's talking about here is that, um, I mean, we're kind of, we're kind of jumping to the, the, both the beginning and the end of ever present origin, because the whole integral consciousness hinges on a sense in which you, the human being is able to realize time freedom, right? Supersede the three-dimensional um, perspectival space of the secular world, uh, supersede the mythical recurrence of the archetypal drama, supersede even magical timelessness, right? By leaning into the spiritual present. There's a kind of intensity uh, um, of spiritual freedom in the present that he sees as a kind of uh, a way that or to access what he calls origin or the ever-present origin. It's ever originating. So he goes right into mysticism. He goes right into specifically a kind of contemplative insight right at the beginning of ever-present origin, which is what hooked me too. And we were talking about that last time. I was immediately like, he's talking about, he's transmitting uh uh, a, a kind of a, a direct uh, a perception, a kind of experience that he's having uh, of this intensified present. And so it, naturally throughout every present origin to attain or to realize integral consciousness, he's always talking about, Gipser's always talking about becoming present, uh, working with the senses and working through the senses. Um, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll pause there, but it's a, it's a difficult topic to unpack the sense of time freedom in the spiritual present but that sort of sums it up for me uh i, I like what you said about uh, magic being uh the timeless now could you distinguish the magic structure of timeless now from the integral uh freedom from time sure yeah i think there's two layers to that one is um the magical timelessness is not necessarily inclusive with, uh, let's say, mental time, let's say progressive directive time, a sense of history happening, right? It has its own kind of unique expression and being in the world. The mental does as well, let's say directive progressive time. The mythical does as well. Um, they may pair, you know, unique ones may pair together, let's say, you know, in the Paleolithic, the magic and the mythic, I think, work really well together. There's a lot of evidence of lunar calendars and lunar cycles and um, ancient astronomy in the Paleolithic. But uh, when it comes to the integral time freedom, there's a sense in which there's a spaciousness for all of the different temporal expressions 
for magical timelessness, the timeless now, for mythical recurrence, for mental directive progression. The integral is holding all of that because it's drawing from this originary intensity, which brings all of these structures um, into being in the first place. Oh, that's that's really good. That's right. The, the integral integral holds them all, including the the magical uh, yeah. timeless now. That and, and Gebser uh, mentions uh, there. There's a one line that I think he uses uh, more than once is that there's a freedom from time, but there's a freedom for time. There's a freedom for the world, right? So it's almost like you're identifying with what brings forth these different expressions of consciousness. And so you're free to completely experience them, right? And um, in a way in which they are, they can be of themselves, the magical timelessness, the mythical recurrence, et cetera. But there's this freedom, there's a kind of a being in the world, but not of it. And speaking of Christianity, um, that's actually a line that Gebser uses as well to try to explain this kind of integral consciousness. So freedom from, but also freedom for the world. I think is an important distinction with the integral. Okay. Well, if, if we haven't right now lost half the audience, because <laughs> we, we, we jumped right in, Yeah. <laughs> at least to the, to the part that I'm working on, uh, trying to, 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 uh, under, well, I don't know if we could understand it, but, uh, I'm interested in experiencing it. Uh, so, um, that's, um, I experience that when I'm in a kind of a trance state or a, a mystical state, I think, I, 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 I don't know. Is, does Gebser offer how, anything about how one experiences that? Sure. I, he does and he doesn't in the sense that he was writing in the context of being a poet and a scholar in mid-century Europe and earlier. And so uh, intentionally he wanted to avoid uh, being seen as some kind of spiritual teacher. So so um, he doesn't really give implicit instructions, but it's, it's between the lines, it's in the subtext of his writing that you can really see, where he describes the kind of states to cultivate this sort of originary presence like one it one it is to to become present there's a contemplative injunction to always bring it back to what is arising in the present and even his his notion of integrality isn't something that is metacognitive or hyper rational it's it's the capacity to be in the present and open to what the present actually holds which again is for gebser origin is in the present if we are sufficiently receptive, we are sufficiently transparent to the spiritual in the present, then all of this description of the structures of consciousness, the intimacy of the past and the present and the future, they're all here, right? So there's a kind of um, a cultivation uh, of what he calls supra-wakefulness, which I, I love that uh, that word, the supra-wakeful present, uh, is what he, he he's always hinting at, that one should be working towards that or working with that in some way. Um, he also describes it as um, lucidity rather than mere wakefulness as another, another way of talking about it. So he's really talking, I think, about um, uh, uh, an implicit contemplative practice, and he didn't have any, right? He was a poet, um, uh, he was somewhat of a, a bohemian himself, 
And uh, I think it was it was something he was prone to, maybe as an individual, to be intimate with these states and to, to through his writing, through poetry, through his um, uh, wanderlust through Europe, tracing the footsteps of Rilke in Spain. He had a few uh, specific experiences that I think were formative for him. He calls it a lightning-like flash of inspiration where he felt this intensity of origin, the intensity of the past kind of brimming up in this ancient city of Malaga, and then also the sense of the future being intimate with us in the present in a concrete way. Um, and he spent, I think, most of his life trying to unpack that, you know. Uh, but again, no, no particular traditions or practices, but I think generally speaking, he's saying a contemplative orientation where we cultivate a state of working in the present and working through our senses to trans-clarify them and to develop a sense of lucidity and work through these different structures, explore them in ourselves, explore the magic, the mythic, the mental, how it arises in ourselves in this diaphanous present, just doing that work. He's kind of saying it, it, it arises of itself, this, this integral sense, this spaciousness, this openness. So he, he's sounding quite a bit like a, a contemplative to me. That's good. It's great, Jeremy. I feel like I'm talking to a to a live version of the ever-present origin, and <laughs> I get to ask it questions, and and it answers me. <laughs> I just love that. Now I spent so much time with the book uh, teaching well, it. Sure. So I yes. think I'm mind well, melting. You, you have, you have, and I'm I'm uh, I'm I, I got an ankle in it. <laughs> uh, now let me ask. Uh, about half probably of our uh, Integral Christian Network audience is familiar with uh, Integral, both from reading uh, Wilbur and from my books. Uh, so let me ask you uh, what, what ways, important ways, that Gebser differs from Wilbur and, and uh, uh, well, I, I find that that's uh, meaningful to me, and I think it will be to our, our audience. Sure. Yeah. So in a, many different and important ways, there's a lot of distinctions. And I try to avoid an, uh, an oppositionalism with Gebser and Wilbur and really try to emphasize that Gebser and his work, he's, he's doing something very different than Wilbur. You know, Wilbur is looking at um, the history of consciousness and the evolution of consciousness from a very developmental perspective, and there's a lot of value in that, particularly for individuals, um, and I think even some insight collectively. Uh, but Gebser's looking is his approach, as I, we mentioned before, being phenomenological. Everything is looking for a concrete example. It's it's trying to be descriptive of our experience of space and time, the evolution of of the self. Um, in a descriptive process and it's always looking at particulars in terms of works of art particular poems um really the kind of the cultural creative expressions to describe the particular structures so that's that's the first thing it's it's deeply phenomenological um wilbur is kind of a master synthesizer right so that requires a kind of level of abstraction you take one system and then you kind of see how it overlaps or it connects to another system and you kind of create a meta framework. Gebser's not really doing that. He's looking more at what he calls um, 
and there's overlap here, but the becoming of consciousness, right? The phenomenology and becoming of consciousness. And he's anchoring himself in creative, concrete expressions of that. The second thing is he's not a developmentalist. Actually, very explicitly, Gepser um, says very on, very early on in Ever Present Origin that since we're talking about time, right? Since that uh, this integral consciousness is an awareness, uh, the way in which we express and evolve our sense of time and space, um, we, we should be more aware of a, a directive, progressive-oriented sense of time, which is valid insofar as it is a mental expression of time. But Gebster's challenge is, is there another way to express the evolution of consciousness or cultural evolution, which isn't um, as explicitly linear, and the way he does this is to point out, well, each of the different structures, there's both gains and losses. You know, in Wilbur, we have transcend and include, where, you know, there's one stage and then it, it goes through some kind of crisis and there's something that new, new emerges, which supersedes that and answers that problem. Uh, and it transcends and includes the earlier stage. In Gebster, that that's sort of the case, but it's not as important. And he might even be cautious to call it transcendent include because for Gebser, very often there's all there's almost a kind of severing and going the other way rather than transcending and including. We take a little bit of that with us. We take a little bit of the earlier structures with us, but we don't truly integrate those earlier structures until the integral. So he calls it or he describes it as a series of gains and losses. The magical consciousness has. Uh, a, a way of being in the world that is not necessarily lower, um, uh, the mythical as well. And in many ways that we have lost our capacity to truly be magical or truly be mythical in any way that isn't an atrophied or very partial expression of those structures in their in their brilliance, in their resiliency, in their uniqueness. So it's almost better to see the structures, and Gebser describes it this way, as a series of discontinuous leaps where the old structure breaks down, an aspect of us is uh, aspect of it is carried with us, right? But it needs integration eventually. Uh, and that's where the integral really comes in, this crisis of a series of gains and losses of increment incremental and increasing dimensionality right the mental three-dimensional space the mythical more two-dimensional uh the ma the magical gepser describes it as one point um a very beautiful way of describing it one point for all points pars pro toto right like that any one um particular act in the universe is interconnected with everything else and there's a fluency and a literacy in that, you know, or mythical time. There is a literacy and a fluency in understanding the cosmic rhythms and cycles that overlap, right, and intersect and really have really feeling into time as these sort of rhythmic cycles that are just all playing out cosmically and then in the individual. There's a, there's a genius in that. There's a brilliance in that. And we don't necessarily carry that forward. So... Gebser's less linear in that sense. He's not emphasizing developmentalism in a strict sense. It's much more nonlinear is his emphasis. Um, and then it's also very phenomenological. And I'll leave it there, but it, all of that hinges on being aware of the mental structure of time, right? Being aware that, well, let's be aware of ourselves as we're emphasizing 
stages or uh, incremental steps or a directive sense of history, a sense of history going somewhere, teleology. This is a particular expression of time. And once we become aware of ourselves doing that, then we might get a little taste of what he means by the integral or being able to move fluidly in and out of these different structures of consciousness that make us up. So I don't know if that's a good job exactly summarizing Wilbur and Gepser, but those are the those are the differences that have been highlighted for me recently, at least in conversations. That's good. Yeah, I notice uh, Ken almost exclusively uses the term stages, and Gepser uses the term structures. Mm -hmm. So that's that's uh, that's a, a fair degree of difference. Uh, I take it that. The stages emphasizes the linear development that you talk about. And the structure is kind of the, the whole thing. And uh, at the earlier stage, it's more unconscious. And the, the integral stage, it's conscious along with the other things. Is that mm -hmm. is that is that anywhere close to <laughs> how you no, say yeah, it? I, I think so. I think, you know, with, uh, with the structures, uh, all of the structures are co-present. And if you think about it as sort of like an entire, like a mandala, right? A uh, multidimensional mandala of, of uh, the magic, the mythic, the archaic, the mental, they're all at work. One might be predominant in a given epoch or era, but all of the others are co-informing uh, that particular epoch, let's say the mythical structure. Well, the mental's in there too, playing a kind of latent role or like you're saying, a sort of unconscious role, the magic as well. Um, and then the integral as well. And that's the whole idea for, for Gepser. It's, it's the sense that since all of the structures are always already co-present and shape the present and shape the becoming of consciousness, then there is this sort of there's a way in which we have to conceive of time in which the future in some way is, is influencing the present as well as the past, that there's a sort of dynamic interrelationship, uh, a dynamic living interrelationship between all of the different structures at any given time. So, you know, in, in some ways, uh, Gebser was sort of prescient with the complexity thinkers because, uh, you know, he was writing this in the 1940s, but he was attempting to describe the structures um, in a much more processual way, right? Uh, a processual and nonlinear way where they're all co-present and co-informing us, even right now, right? Even, even in this, and he spends a lot of time describing the kind of spiritual crisis of consciousness we're going through in the, in, in this time. Uh, but he's saying, you know, even in this present, the, the crisis of the present, the structures are all here. Right. Um, and, and part of the answer to that is, is to, in some ways it's very simple like if we could only become more present and then work to tangibly concretely uh decenter ourselves from us the uh, the the mental structure of consciousness which has sort of overemphasized and has now kind of outlived its exclusive age and so that's another reason why he's more critical of developmental or progressive oriented um frameworks because they they're still very almost unconsciously so just uh, presuming the given of time that is directive time that is progressive etc um and he's saying well, we really need to loosen that fixity on time as this linear process and the only way to do that he think he says is to become present in, in the concrete present 
Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's happening in me uh, with with Ken. Uh, like thinking about the magical stage, is it's like I came away thinking, well, you know, enough of that. Uh, that's uh, that's really uh, all fantasy. And with Gebser, it's like, wow, that 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 there's uh, there's there's a uh, reality in that, and there's. And it's still with me, and it feels so good to let it come alive in a in a more conscious and integral way. And it's uh, it was it's healing, and it's uh, it just it's making a whole. That's part of the thing that's happening in me, and uh, I like it. I mean, I'm feeling like the world is becoming enchanted again, hmm. and. Uh, I mean, with with Ken and and I, my homage is to him for starting me on this path. But you know, it, it was a it was a, a an exercise in intellectual understanding. Although he practices, and that's wonderful. But with Gebser, it was a, this coming alive of the magical and the mythical. I had I had a place for the mythical now, a value. And uh, that was wonderful. Uh, so, which leads me to my next uh, question: Is uh, how do Gebser's strengths um, help us in today's slow move to integral? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it's just emerging, and uh, I, I just described one way he's helping me move into the integral. What, what, what would you say about that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think for for uh, for me, I I get a lot of value. First of all, to speak to that, what you're just describing about the vivifying coming alive of these structures, uh, there's a in the integral. I think there's a process of remediation that Gebser is really pointing to. That to become integral, we have to be dynamic and, and, and fluid again in, in our capacity as individuals to engage magically in the world, to really have that come to life to, as a respective, as you're saying, you described it so well as a reality, the magical is a reality. There's a lot of temptation to put judgment on that and say, well, mm. is this really just superstition um, or with the mythic, you know, working with images in the psyche and is this really, you know, is this really me playing with my own imagination? Like to suspend that disbelief um, or a better word, um, Gebster uses the word detachment but in the translation, but um, one word that I've been using more than that is equanimity to just be present to that reality and not really kind of reject it and not really fly into it, right? And wholeheartedly embrace it because there's that danger as well in the terms of um, uh, kind of getting resubmerged in, a, in an aspect of ourselves that we have been disconnected from, right? That is crying out to be integrated. The soul making, uh, uh, for example, with, with the mythic and Jung is a great example. Carl Jung is a great example of that sort of relationship. He has that beautiful, um, uh, I, I don't know, a passage where he's speaking to his soul, right? You know, where my, my soul, where have you been? Uh, that kind of intensity uh, of feeling, you know, it's very powerful. So to have a kind of, uh, uh, 
equanimous relationship as you bring these realities back into your awareness is very important. Uh, but so, so I would say that there's a remedial expression of integral consciousness. It looks like reintegration, right? It looks like remediation because all of a sudden the magic and the mythic come back to life in, in a very mm. powerful way. So it might even look like, and we have to make that discernment and be careful too. He, he, Gebser did a pre-trans fallacy um, discernment as well. He didn't call it that, but he, you know, he, he often mentions in Ever Present Origin and elsewhere that we need to be careful not to just, it's not just about bringing those back, right? It's about what in us has the capacity to hold all of that, right? Including the mental. Um, so I would say that remediation, there's the healing capacity in, in Gebser's approach. Um, and I, I know many folks who are Gebserians and also working in acupuncture and working in some kind of healing modality. It's very powerfully um, informative in their practice. Uh, so there's that. And then the other aspect would be, you know, in, in the way that Gebser was so, as a thinker, maybe because he was a poet, um, he had this capacity to be really sensitive to um you know, what maybe contemporary philosophers call the structure of feeling in the present. What, what, what are we culturally going through and working through right now in our art, in our science, in our, um, you know, in our literature, the, the, the diverse transdisciplinarity of it, right? It's, there's, a, there's a, an emerging awareness that Kepsar is very sensitive to. And so I think to even borrow the, the healing uh, theme again for this point, Gebser was finally attuned to the pathologies of the present to really kind of go, okay, what is going on with this crisis and what is this exactly about? So he's, he's able to do that very well. And in a way that's very prescient. And I'll, I'll point out quickly to um, one of the things that, that I, I speak with people a lot about is they're, is they're sort of shocked that he wrote this in the 1940s talking about um, the way in which reality and the cultural crisis of the present is, is where everyone is becoming increasingly fragmented. Um, everyone's sort of capacity to communicate to each other is becoming increasingly narrow. So there's this atomization, there's this disconnection and fragmentation that's happening in a sort of totalizing way. And we've severed, right? There's a fragmentation, there's a cutting, there's a severing. Um, and we've severed ourselves not only from the future in that sense, but also from the past, this rich mythical magical past. So he sees the crisis of the present, something what like John Verveke would call the, the meaning crisis, right? And he speaks so well to that. Um, and I, I could get into some more aspects of that, but you know, a lot of that has to do with the exhaustion of the mental age, of the mental rational consciousness, where he calls the perspectival epoch. Um, that has been spiritually exhausted direct of time, et cetera, has been spiritually exhausted. We need a new way of being in the world, right? And this is also what he speaks to so powerfully. Mm, that's good. That's good. Now, let me ask you, uh, uh, lest I end up worshiping at the altar of Gebser, uh, uh, he's, he's now been around long enough for... Uh, uh, to have critics, uh, I haven't found any um, any uh, fanatical, stupid critics, uh, but I, but uh, maybe there's some discerning critics. Uh, 
what would you do you see any uh, weaknesses or or maybe what is he criticized by thoughtful people about oh sure yeah th- there's some good criticisms in in there um like Jared Furstein who uh was was a, a friend of Gebser's um he he wrote about a few a few critiques he had of Gebser's analysis of of eastern spirituality um, I have some criticisms of his his analysis of let's say uh, you know um, Mesoamerican culture Mesoamerican civilizations. There's some like what we would call today colonial attitudes about you know why things went a certain way. He has a few passages about you know the, the Spanish fighting the Aztecs and the Aztecs trying to throw magic sorcery at the Spaniards and it doesn't work with the mental technological apparatus of the Spaniards. And I think we could, we could critique that pretty thoroughly, but some of that I think is the limits of his, um, the, the knowledge he had access to writing in the 1940s. It was very Eurocentric. So there's, there's a little air of that Eurocentrism in his writing. Um, and, and, you know, just there's a limitation as well. And this is, this would be my own, um, criticism that for this to be a human project, right a planetary project talking about the structures of consciousness. I think it requires more scholars who are coming from their own knowledge base and a more planetary or world centric context. So for me, uh, my background is, is Mesoamerican, uh, Mexican American. Um, and I've thought about maybe at some point really bringing Mesoamerican studies into a conversation with Gebser's structures of consciousness to do them more justice and to really bring more complexity, right? Because I think if anything that's missing, it's it's Gebser could have done more and he was kind of limited to a discussion and a discourse around, um, you know, the classics, right? Uh, the classics of the humanities, the history of, of medieval Europe, uh, uh, and of course, the Europe's interest in the Mediterranean. So his study and his scope is somewhat limited in a sort of classical sense. And that's unfortunate um, because I, I think the structures can and do speak beyond Eurocentrism. Uh, but there's, I think there's more work to be done there. Uh, he, To his credit, he did begin to write books later in his life. He toured uh, East Asia and Asia. He visited Japan. He visited Pondicherry. Um, he began a study, and I think that was at least a beginning of, of something. Um, but there are some limitations to to his his approach beyond his European knowledge. So that that would be my critique. Okay, that's good. Uh, l- let me ask you uh, uh, another area, and then I want to ask uh, Luke and David if they. Uh, they have anything they want to pursue. Uh, uh, let me ask you about, uh, I'm particularly interested in the, uh, the, the magic uh, structure uh, since uh, in, in the whole body mystical awakening practice that we have at the Integral Christian Network, which is uh, what people call the three brains, the head, heart, and gut, and then the grounding, um, the the gut, uh, what what Gebser calls the visceral, uh, seems to be, uh, if he were to locate a magic, uh, that would be coming from that area. Uh, so, um, and I, and I, I'm I'm writing about healing. Uh, the whole uh, Gebser talks about the 
the phenomenon of Lords and the healing that goes on there and prayer. And he locates that in, in the magic uh, uh, dimension. Um, uh, talk about that. Talk about, talk about uh, the, uh, the, the mystical, or I, I, I call in writing, I call the magic also the mystical since exclusively calling it magic can kind of put people off. And I think, I think that mystical also covers the territory of what he calls magic. Uh, and uh, any thoughts you have about that realm and uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a visceral sitterness uh, in our gut or what it, it, uh, in our deal, we call our spiritual womb. Everybody has a mm-hmm. womb, whether they have a physical one or not, uh, a spiritual womb. And uh, any, any thoughts you have about the, that? Oh, I, I love that description. Uh, everybody has a, a spiritual womb. That's wonderful. Uh, no, I, I think that is very much in line with, um, you know, Gepser's understanding. And it's a, that's a great way as well to kind of get in touch with them. Um, he talks at the beginning of EPO quite a bit about the, uh, I call it the, the world is cave, you know? Um, mm. I think I'm drawing that from a couple of different scholars like John David Ebert, Marshall McLuhan, um, the world that is enclosed, right? And, and it can be, it can sound abstract. I mean, you could, Gepser points to the vaulted, vaulted caverns and vaulted spaces and the sort of enclosed cosmology, the domed sky, right? There's a sense of like the world is is we are in enwrapped in this participatory world right but we all have that as you're saying you know we've all got our we've all got our gut so we've all we we have a way to access that world in the present by working mystically as you say or or magically um but for gepser yeah the, the lords is a good example it's a really good illustration because um I'm even thinking of uh, like Notre Dame uh, a few years ago with the fire that unfortunately happened but for me, that that actually gave an opportunity to kind of get a sense of Notre Dame's history. And what's so interesting is that before it was a cathedral, um, it was it was I think a, a temple to Jupiter during the Roman period. And then before that, it likely was still a holy site since it was by a body of water. And Gebser talks about lords and and um, subterranean water. And there's there's a sense in which the magical as you're saying, it's associated with the gut, it's associated with the underground, it's associated with um, a sense of being in place and animism, right? The special sites, um, uh, flowing underground rivers, etc. There's uh, magically vitalistic energy channels, right? That that um, our ancestors and even contemporary magical practitioners uh are sensitive to and are working with they're working with a living land right so i think that speaks so wonderfully to that and it's it's magically um, magically it's it's vitalistic um it has to do with mana right it has to do with uh the body as a site of potency spiritual material or otherwise um and so if you think about it it makes sense to be embedded in uh, especially our ancestors to be embedded for a hundred thousand plus years uh, in an animistic worldview, working with the land, you know, um, working with place, we would be very sensitive to the way in which energy and vitalism and the cycles of nature, you know, 
consuming and eating and sharing of itself, all of these processes are just enmeshed and we're enmeshed in that. And so vitalism is a part of that, right? Another aspect he talks about, I guess talks about too, is um, sense in which, you know, uh, in our, especially in, in, in ancient religions, let's say like in Egyptian is a good example. Uh, the spirits are a plurality, souls are a plurality. So there's, we are a plurality in that sense. If you get down to this, these, these earlier structures, right? The, the self of the, the secular world has yet to become really centered. Uh, so there's a, there's a kind of a porousness of the self in the world, which is part of that, I think is part of that vitalism. Um, I could keep going, but I, I find this to be a very interesting subject, um, and, and it touches again on, on animism and place studies and indigenous thinking, uh, which are wonderful ways to, to tap into that. Luke, David, did you have anything you wanted to pursue? Yeah, I've, got, I've got more if you don't. <laughs> more too, sure. Sure, well, no, just in connecting to that, I mean, the, that animism, that um, the, the different sort of pathways into how we can reconnect with that structure of consciousness within ourselves, right. And within our past and ancestry and, you know, so many different pathways and avenues. And that's one of the things that, you know, Paul mentioned earlier through our whole body mystical awakening, we, we can kind of actually experience those in our own body and our, our different centers. And, and that kind of speaks to something I've been experiencing more lately with, uh, sort of that, that reintegration, that sort of um, re-including each of those parts of my being and who I am in my own phenomenological experience, right, <laughs> in, in practice, in spiritual practice, and just also in general new ways of being. And uh, an element of that that I think has been really important is, you know, focusing on some of those particularly and individually, but also very much the... Uh, sort of movement between and through and with all of them together. And, uh, you know, I know Gebser has this uh, focus on uh, the diaphanous or the uh, the transparency. Uh, so I was wondering if you could just tell a little bit about that and um, what Gebser means by that and how that sort of moves into our integral consciousness uh, phenomenologically, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great question, uh, Luke. Uh, yeah, so the Gebser has this, like... Um, uh, for, for each of the, the different structures, he kind of gives them a, a, an expression or a characteristic. And for the integral, one of the primary ones is this, he calls it the diaphaneity or the diaphanous. And he calls it, I, I love this phrase, the epiphany of the spiritual. It's a beautiful way of describing it, but it's the sense in which um, when the integral structure comes online or is, is fully kind of, realized in us our capacity to fluidly move between the magic and the mythic and the mental um is is accessible to us there's a kind of i come back to this word a lot plasticity um one of my colleagues barbara carlson talks about this a lot with um integrality in the body and reattaining a a, a form of plasticity as an adult um like we had when we were little babies and even, you know, in, in sort of embryonic developmental phase, uh, that plasticity is really important, that capacity to fluidly move all in between. And that's, this is the principle of diaphaneity for Gebser. Um, but I, I would say like the quality, let's say contemplatively or phenomenologically is uh, I'll go to Gebser's first experience uh in malaga spain where he was having a kind of peak experience with the skies he was saying that the sky the intensity 
he calls it a, um, a vibrating or shimmering emptiness of the skies over Malaga. So I would say there's a kind of spaciousness in this felt sense. There's a, there's a, a sense of openness, right? So when, we, when he's talking about transparency or diaphaneity, there's a sort of opening of the self in the present to these all of these different structures to just the intensity of the spiritual present. And it's really that capacity that, that engenders or enables that fluidity, right? Um, to really bring that kind of creative spiritual intensity into our present, into our awareness, to let it commingle with us. Obviously, like, you know, I, as, as many of us are practitioners here, easier said than done. <laughs> um, and yet I think, you know, uh, for Gebser, it's not just a, a state we can attain. It's sort of, it's a reality, right? Just as the magical is a reality or the mythical or the mental, the, the integral is, is this kind of uh, um, intensity, this originary realism, which is holding it all and bringing it all into being. And it's sort of up to us to kind of work out how to become more open to that reality, right? And to really bring it, bring it into ourselves or fold it into ourselves. Um, again, easier said than done. But I, what I like about this is that it doesn't, it doesn't really, if there's not really talking about um, a stage of meta rational cognition, um, he's not really talking about like anybody, like anybody who could be in their simplicity, you know, open to the present, um, mm -hmm can embody this mm. in, in their own way um so i don't know <laughs> i hope that I get a, did a decent job with the diaphaneity but actually one more point about that um one of the 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 ways in which i've attempted to describe it in gebser to some extent as well as a sense of um uh almost like a koan right like if we're aware of the kind of seeing and perception that was present in, let's say, the magic and the mythic, uh, which Gebser uh, describes as sort of night-like, dream-like. Um, and then the mental is a kind of waking, spatial, uh, awake and alertful kind of consciousness, self-aware kind of consciousness. Both of, those, both of those are transparent in this intensity, in this diaphanous intensity, the light and the dark. So he taught, he uses words, not only like openness or spaciousness, but like clarity or trans clarification, lucidity. Like, I think these get a little taste of what that felt sense is as well. We could nerd out as well on, uh, um, some of the historical and, and, and temporal aspects because, um, uh, this is sort of like shifting and I'll open up to another question maybe but uh his his history of the past 200 years is really interesting um as a, using these tools using these concepts we've just kind of went through really kind of going like well what has the the history of time been for modernity and how has it led us to this crisis of the spiritual present where we have to come to that actually like we have no choice but to finally become present in this sort of way that that you've been describing here my next question uh, for Jeremy was uh, one: uh, um, Gebser is uh, unabashedly, it seems, uh, oriented towards Christianity, uh, and it, he's not very uh, he's not very postmodern, which would uh, say let's not let's not favor anything over above anything else. And he he seems to to be uh, Un, uh, uh, favor Christianity 
I, 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 he doesn't compare it to anything else, but he seems to be uh, some kind of an advocate or something there. Uh, what do you, what do you make of that? And uh, does that uh, does that perplex? I mean, surely Gebser scholars like you, you know, come from many different uh, different uh, places of religion and not religion. But what do you, what do you make of that? Yeah, uh, I, I've always found it very um, beautiful and heartening. Uh, you know, given. Gepser's own kind of self-admitting and very transparent statement about, you know, my approach is most obviously from, he calls it the Occidental, from the European. I'm limited to that. Um, there's a little, there's a little kind of note or, or preface that he, that he has in the second edition, basically going like, I'm coming at this from a Western European perspective. This is what I'm drawing from, but it's also something that is not just about Western Europe. So he points to Sri Aurobindo. He points to even actually, and he points to Tehard as well for Tehard's Catholicism. He doesn't even kind of see himself exactly or as explicitly Christian um, in his approach. So he points to Tehard for the Christianity to go fully into that. And then he points to Sri Aurobindo to look to to um, uh, Eastern spirituality. So he's trying to be ecumenical as he, as he can, I suppose. Um, and then later in life, he did he did befriend D.T. Suzuki, who was one of the great popularizers uh, of um, great popularizers of uh, Buddhism in in uh, America and in the West. And they had a correspondence, and they developed an interesting uh, understanding. Where Gebser really pointed out, you know, when I when I talk about Gebser says uh, when I talk about the integral a perspectival, uh, it's what D.T. Suzuki means by the a rational. So so they really found some interesting bridges there. Um, and, you know, again, with Aurobindo, Gebser even goes so far as to say in a later writing um, that his entire experience is is perhaps a transmission of Aurobindo's integral yoga. He, he writes off his entire insights, like, this is probably all from Aurobindo. He says this later in life. Tremend tremendously humble guy, because I think Gebser has a lot to offer as well. But um, So I kind of want to preface that exploration of, of Christianity. But, uh, you know... For you know, for for Gebser, what what I think he's pointing to is is the latent integrality of Christianity, the way in which Christianity, as um, uh, you know, as an esoteric path, as uh, as a path that brings forward the spiritual, already has, you know, it, Christianity already has an integrality latent within it, right? And I think this would be, this wouldn't be a unique thing to state. He, you know, he might kind of go Buddhism has aspects of you know the diaphanous and integral in it and here's here's how i read that etc and i think he did that to some capacity but when it comes to christianity yeah i think um particularly the passage one of the passages i i, I shared with you um he was talking about the dogma of mary in the catholic church in the mid-century in 1950 i think and how um you know it, it was a sort of re-establishment of the of the divine feminine to balance out the divine masculine but what he says about this as well is that, you know, um, the transfiguration of the body, right, that the body itself is the site of the spiritual, the diaphanous, that we don't just go away from the body, but the body is the site of this trans clarification of the world and of the spiritual. It's like 
this is this is I think you know one of the ways in which his his vision of an integral Christianity with his background in this integral studies really kind of hyper illuminates um, a lot of these Christian passages that he goes to, um, and you know he says like I think there this is not discontinuous with the Christian tradition, what he's talking about. And that's why he's, he's bringing that up, right? Integrality, um, the bringing forward of the spiritual in, in, in the material to, to trans clarify it is not a separate project. And it's not something apart from what the Christian tradition has been speaking about in its deeper readings, right? It's deeper mysticism or contemplative insight. So, and he has some beautiful passages as I, I shared with you, um, but I'll, I'll pause here. Yes, I, I probably should have, uh, instead of when you, when I say Christianity, that brings up the religion of Christianity. I probably should have said he seems uh, enamored with Jesus. Hmm. Uh, at one point he says something about the, breakthrough resplendence of Jesus uh, saying, I am the light of the world. Mm -hmm. And in uh, one of the passages I would add to your sheet, you gave us, uh, he talks about the transfiguration of Jesus. And he says, this singular diaphany of the world on earth, this unique manifestation of spiritual power is not a past event. Uh, that's a, mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty high uh, acknowledgement of, uh, of Jesus and the events surrounding him. Uh, I, I think he would share our, our, uh, mixed, uh, view about the religion that sued from all that <laughs> and the, the, uh, efficient and inefficient, uh, things, uh, of it. But I, I was referring to his, uh, seeming embrace of Jesus as a, some sort of model or something. Does that seem true? Yeah. Oh, certainly. I, I think he, he sees Jesus as, as, uh, 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 an embodiment of this integral consciousness or this diaphanous, uh, trans clarification of the world, like the, and he's not singular in that sense. Maybe he was personally, but he, I think in his writing in ever present origin, he's, he's going, this is one of the greatest, manifestations of integral consciousness you know and he's saying like this was uh, one of the lines he says um uh in an earlier passage god's incarnation was not in vain and he's mm. talking about the world and the human um i'll yeah. just read it there's a beautiful line about the genuine eruption of the other side into this side the presence of the beyond in the here and now of death in life of the transcendent in the imminent of the divine in the human becomes transparent god's incarnation was not in vain and then he says religion intensify this is a new word so new word warning folks uh, religion intensified to pray legio and this is intended to circumscribe the profound Christianity of the integral consciousness structure without any theological claim. I don't know if he's, if he's really getting away with no theological claims here either, but, um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's very uh, forthright about like a, this vision of an integral Christianity. Um, Preligio, by the way, it's just kind of like the shorthand for Gebser and the evolution of religion, right? Cause he has a kind of, um, uh, he, he describes like a proligio or like a preligio uh, of religio, and then we go into religion, and then we go into uh, which he's, he's calling preligio, which is this um, again, it's sort of like a, a 
inside, around, and through this whole evolutionary process of our relationship with with the spiritual and and, and with the evolution of religion itself. But religion, like he, he talks about this process, and it's in some of the quotes I shared with you, where you know religio used to mean to to observe the mysteries, and then it became. Uh, uh, the nomenclature became to bind back, right? So there's this process of distantiation in the history of consciousness where we can no longer simply live in the mysteries, right? We 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 kind of move away and distantiate from it, um, and in that sense, like religio becomes religion. And before that, I mean, it's pro-ligio, so it's like we can't even really speak of a religion, let's say, in animistic cultures. There's, again, even more intensified enmeshment, right? That vitalistic enmeshment in spirits, et cetera, and the mysteries of the world. Um, that participation um, wanes and distantiates, and it's really with preligio, which he describes as an obligation to the present. If religion is a binding back, then... Preligio is an obligation or a binding to the present in which the past and the future is is present, right? So this is a beautiful kind of little arc that he gives about the the evolution of religion that I've always I've always kind of gone to for. I know it's new terminology, but it's but it's an interesting word, preligio, um, mm. an obligation to the present is a great way to just sum up all of ever present origin. Yeah, let me follow up on that um, preligio and, and just this, is that, did I say that right, preligio? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, which, yeah, I mean, is is really, I think, um, the way you described it was beautiful and, and indicative of sort of the the whole way that he describes integral consciousness, which, which we might, in a developmental approach, uh, be confused about, where it's not this sort of vertical ascent that we're just kind of shooting off into the stars, into the sky, or into the, the detached witness, or, or what have you, um, but really this sense of um, kind of a dimensionality, right, moving into a four-dimensional spherical, or sort of movement around and through, and uh, with what has come before and, and looking back at that process of, you know, I, I think for especially a lot of Christians and looking at religion, right, we might, we might see that religio and say, oh, the binding, you know, the, the stepping away and it was, you know, there's all these systems of religion that, that hold us back from, you know, but, but I think, um, you know, you've mentioned a little bit about Gebser's analysis of history, uh, you know, it, there's a, um, I, correct me if I'm wrong, there, there's there's not a sort of disdain for that or a, a looking at it like, oh, we went the wrong way and we have to kind of go back or we have to correct, right? There's there's this sort of unfolding process within the structures of consciousness that, that all sort of belong in their own way, right? And have to be included and reintegrated in the, in the wholeness that we might come to. So I don't know if I'm saying that exactly right, but does that that makes sense. Does that resonate? Is that, is that a way that he would see this movement into consciousness of um, sort of, you know, deficiency, efficiency, those processes are, are kind of things that we have to go through and then find our way back into holding them all together. Sure. Yeah. Um, one of the lines that comes to me as, as you're describing this is uh, towards the end of the book, Kepser talks about like only distantiation creates the the possibility for the awakening of consciousness. So I, I think that for, for him and and his understanding about this series of gains and, and losses that the structures have kind of unfolded over history, it's it's been a kind of a burden. There's been a severing, but not in the sort of traditionalist approach of, you know, the past was better. Um, 
in a way, he's actually acknowledging what they're right about in that sense of earlier structures were more participatory in these mysteries and the the intensities of magic and mythic. We've distantiated ourselves from the world and our capacity to participate in it, but that has also gained us this ability to self-reflect, right? That gained us the ability for directive thinking and really the mental structure of consciousness is what he's talking about, right? Like, and he, and he prescribes this, or at least he, he attributes this in, in the history of, um, uh, you know, Mediterranean and, and, and Western Europe, et cetera, as, uh, you know, Christianity, right? The image of Christ standing over the sea. And he kind of attributes the sea to this sort of psychistic, mythical, you know, churn. And the Christ, is, as a logos, is able to just be above that, right? And to be able to direct the um, these powers and intensities. So, that is that's the capacity that we have to to separate and then enact our own individuated will right and and that's important now that the danger in that is it's not simply a step up there's a there's a price to be paid for that which is to make that separation doesn't mean you get to include what you've you've uh, differentiated from in a very easy kind of neat way it's like this this needs to be paid paid later on, right? Like we need to reintegrate. So as you're saying, I think it's absolutely right that distantiation is a great gift, but it's also a burden. And what helps us overcome this crisis is a new relationship with the present and the spiritual capacity to really kind of open back up and reintegrate. And then also, you know, some of these other interesting mysterious capacities of the of the integral consciousness and the kind of cryptic phrases Gebser uses about, you know, the past shaping us, but also the future shapes us. And there's this kind of sense of, you know, um, there's almost a science fiction sense to that, you know, being in communion, not only with our ancestors, but with the unborn, um, both mystical and science fiction oriented. And I, I have fun going into those realms on, on my podcast sometimes, but yeah, yeah. I think you're totally right about that. Distantiation is important. Yeah. And, and kind of that sense too, of like, I mean, we, we also with I, with ICN take a very participatory approach and want to, you know, move into those, but it's not just a sense of kind of like, get out of my head. You know, we, we have, you know, we do, I think we're so, uh, sometimes submerged in the deficiency of the mental structure that, you know, any way to kind of get out of that or be free from it, or, you know, even a lot of contemplative practices or movements of spirituality can be sort of a, um, yeah, <laughs> less integral, right. in that movement of, of, uh, of that sort of whole embracing and, um, yeah, participation within all throughout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's like, I think one of the, 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 I don't know, test kits, the conceptual test kit you can kind of take with you is if I feel, let's say moving into some kind of participatory practice, if my secular modern oriented mind feels comfortable with working with these realities, then we're probably not really going where we need to go in terms of working here because the, the the magic and the mythic in terms of reintegration, we should have a healthy respect for them in a way that's like, I'm playing with something very profound here, you know, and the mental isn't adequate 
you know, to bring the mental in it would simply to make it disappear. It's like shining a light underneath a rock and all the little bugs crawl away. Um, it doesn't necessarily help. Um, so how do I really get in touch with under, what's underneath that rock besides just going under there myself and forgetting about the mental, right? Which is one tool we have, like moving into trance states or like um, moving into um, uh, various states of consciousness that are more liminal. Like those are, that's kind of accessing that state again. Um, but the, the, the power, the saving power is like, well, actually uh, developing some sense of um, concentrated uh, attentive equanimity in the present, working with those structures, working with those experiences, bringing that lucidity to those experiences. It's really difficult. Like it's not an easy thing, but how vivified those structures can become when we actually do that, how much more they can come to life and safely. So, and in, in the sense of, you know, the mental is always in danger of being overridden or sub resubmerged. It's really only the integral that can do that kind of work the intensity and, and lucidity of the integral but again way easier said than done right i mean <laughs> absolutely right and that's yeah you know honestly hearing you describe that it sounds very resonant with with what we're kind of trying to do in our we space groups and through whole body mystical awakening and doing that together mm -hmm. and i know kind of in your work you have uh you know your your community that you call mutations and that's that's a word from gebser so i just I uh, would love for you to talk about that word and what it means and how that movement is happening through your work and your community. Sure. Yeah. Great question. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, so mutations, Gebser uses that as a word to describe uh, each of the, like, the, the, the kind of leap into this new structure where um, in, in, his history of consciousness, you have a particular structure kind of comes forward and it goes through a sort of um, a zenith, right? It has like an efficient phase and then it kind of moves into um, like a creatively, spiritually exhausted phase where it kind of gets ossified and it doesn't really respond to the uh, dynamically and intelligently to the problems of the world. And it might even kind of get a little inflated. So it might seem even more powerful than ever before, but it also gets kind of empty you know it, it, it loses its capacity and he talks about this actually with the evolution of christianity where christianity was able to bring the mental um online at the time in a way that intensified and superseded uh the deficient mythic and magical the syncretism of the hellenistic period and all the different practices it was really like that that powerful clarification like there was a there was a, a mental quality to it to direct again to, for christ standing over the sea etc so that's a good example um mutations are basically that this new kind of time space relationship this new kind of structure of consciousness that comes online and for gebser the 20th century and the 19th and for us the 21st has been a period of intensified mutation and also intensified crisis where we've seen the techno rational world really kind of do exactly the what he describes the mythical world doing which is basically overriding us in a sea of you know industrial innovation technological um progress run amok right um uh unbridled capitalism right which is that same kind of directive extractive uh force in terms of it's a very kind of mental rational kind of expression of economics so in all of the ways the mental is proliferating itself and it seems to just sort of run wild um and so 
underneath that, there's this inception of the the integral structure, which for Gebser will have that same kind of relationship that Christianity had with the syncretism of the magic and the mythic um, that would somehow supersede the techno-rational world and the flood that is in the crisis that it is engendering for us. So that's the kind of premise for mutations, that these discontinuous leaps where the deficient expression of an older structure is superseded by the new and the efficient. But in reality, of course, that is really messy. And you have admixtures of, and even Gebser talks about this, you know, technology is expressing time freedom in certain ways. It's superseding space. We're able to talk across vast distances so that perspectival world is getting shut down. Um, but at the same time, there's like, you know, digital capitalism and there's the documentary, The Social Dilemma that just came out about how we're all becoming algorithmicized or whatever you want to call it. So there's this ways in which we're becoming increasingly atomized and disconnected, and there's ways in which we're becoming connected. So mutation, uh, like a mutational approach uh, is really trying to study and document and describe these processes that are going on in the present artistically, technologically, creatively, and try to find you know, where is the integral showing up? Like, where are these new expressions of time and space that Gebser spends half the book documenting in the mid-century? I think that kind of work of really looking for that criteria and sort of um, historically mapping out, you know, since Gebser passed, there's been decades of, of many interesting developments, many interesting things have happened, including, I think he would find it very humorous um, in the 90s with Fukuyama calling it the end of history. I think he would get a kick out of that. And now here we are, you know, with, uh, with the ecological crisis, um, like sort of on the threshold of that. So that's what I'm looking at. The long, long story short is, is um, uh, trying to continue to articulate where these mutations are happening and what they can teach us about integral consciousness in the present. And my community is, we're, we're basically, we're not just Gebserians. Um, there's a lot of folks who've read Gebser in my book. Uh, who There are integral theory folks. There are a lot of artists and a lot of um, academics, a lot of folks who are going to school right now. They're kind of seeing it as a resource for, for their studies. Um, we read a lot of literature. We have a lot of book clubs. Uh, and so we, like in 2021, I'm hoping to do a lot more science fiction. I think science fiction is a great way to kind of, uh, experientially explore time and sort of time freedom and how it shows up in a lot of our uh, myth and storytelling in the present. So we're doing all of that. Mutations is a great little community. Um, and then I also host a live stream conversations, sort of like you know, what we're doing here with various scholars who are kind of plugged into the integral world in some way. Uh, like we talk with folks um, in like peer-to-peer -peer, like Michelle Bowens and I'm trying to just sort of keep in touch with everyone who I think has a feeling of this, even if they're not a Gibsarian integralist, they're still expressing something that I think is 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 in spirit of this mutative period, right? So I'm just trying to keep everyone in in contact and in conversation with each other. Jeremy, you are you are so uh, not only smart but you are relatable. Uh, I'm I'm impressed with uh, uh, unlike many smart people you actually listen to other people and uh, i noticed like i would ask you a question you listen to it you would repeat the words i used you would repeat uh, the things i said and uh, you're a very connecting person i assume you're married 
Uh, I am. <laughs> which may be, uh, may be where you learned that. I don't know. <laughs> or you have, have to be able to do that to be successfully married. But I am, I am uh, so uh, impressed with that you are a, uh, not only intelligent, but you are re- relatable and uh, kind and humble. I love your uh, non-oppositional approach. It's so easy to uh, to uh, uh, say things in an oppositional way, which is not very integral. But you uh, you are you model that, and so uh, your your uh, gracious spirit just comes over all the time, and it makes it. Uh, you're not only interesting, you are, it's, it's pleasant to, uh, to relate to you. And so I, I, I really appreciate this and look forward to more times. So, so thank you very much for, uh, for, um, both your, uh, your, uh, intellectual endeavors and your, uh, personal, uh, um, loving, characteristics. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. I I could say the same for you. Uh, Your heart uh, is is so open. I feel very welcome. I feel very uh, received. You know, I think it takes, it takes two or in this case, uh, the four of us to tango here, but um, you know, I've, I've very much appreciated our conversations and the warmth that you also exude. So um, I'm looking forward to more conversations. Mm, yes absolutely yeah and jeremy thank you so much for your time and your spirit and energy and it's just been really lovely and wonderful and yeah we'll we'll do it again sometime yeah jeremy where would you like us to find your books and support your work and your website your podcast can you fill us in sure thanks uh yeah so you could follow me i'm there's a okay so you can go to patreon and i'll send you the link to that it's uh uh, patreon.com slash, I think, uh, Jeremy Daniel Johnson. Uh, but that's the mutations community. It's our, it's our little hub. You get access to a discord channel, which is a chat room. Uh, you can look up my podcast, just look up mutations on any podcast, uh, streaming service, and you can find my episodes there. Um, I also stream video versions of our conversations. So, um, I'll link to you to, uh, the mutations YouTube channel. And, uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. It's JDJ underscore rights. Um, I, I tweet a lot and there's also a Facebook community for the mutations group. So all of those spaces, um, you, you can find my work and, uh, lists for, uh, uh, seeing through the world and the forthcoming books, because there's, there's actually a lot of books that are about to be announced. So definitely stay in the loop and, and, and refresh and you'll, you'll see what's mm. going on. Right on. Thanks a lot. Yeah.